This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting to hold politicians accountable for better health care. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Christine Ross for Libby Zneimer. With an explosion of artificial intelligence in the past few months, AI experts are urging Ottawa to quickly regulate the technology. And there's a lot of buzz about an increased number of mosquitoes this year, and we're itching to find out why. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Seems every week we're hearing about the dangers of artificial intelligence. Now some medical professionals are using AI's popular chat box to communicate with patients to explain simple concepts, avoiding confusing medical jargon. But some doctors are even using it to deliver bad medical news, according to a new report. One Microsoft VP says as a patient, he'd feel a little weird about it. Whether patients are aware they're being communicated to by a chat box remains to be seen. More discussion with an AI expert coming up on the Zoomer Week in Review. An amino acid supplement may hold the secret to longevity. In a paper published this week, researchers found that taurine-supplemented mice not only lived 12% longer, they lived healthier lives, too. But the authors warn people not to take this supplement until they've finished their clinical testing on humans in the coming years. Taurine is a naturally occurring amino acid produced by our own bodies that are primarily found in protein-rich foods like meat and fish, but the levels drop off as we age. It also regulates immune function, obesity, and more. Despite being among countries with the highest incident rates of skin melanoma in the world, mortality rates in Israel are among the lowest, and much of it is thanks to early detection. This is Skin Cancer Awareness Week in Israel, and data shows 92% of melanoma cases are diagnosed at an early stage. Israel is ranked 23rd out of 30 countries with the highest incident rates of skin melanoma in the world, with Australia and New Zealand having the highest rates. Canada doesn't rank on the top 10 in the world for melanoma skin cancer, but number 4 for non-melanoma skin cancer. New data shows that while baby boomers are splurging on dining and cruises, younger Americans are struggling to keep up. The Bank of America finds spending increased by 5.3% for traditionalists, or the silent generation, born between 1922 and 1945, and 2% for boomers. But it fell 1.5% for younger generations, as they struggle with the high cost of housing and paying back student loans. So why is this happening? Well, for one, travel spending is back after the pandemic, and older Americans are benefiting from a spike in Social Security payments. Tomorrow is Juneteenth, and in the U.S., it is the second year that's been declared a federal holiday, with cities across the country planning elaborate celebrations. The day commemorates the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. Celebrations dissipated in the early half of the 20th century, but interest renewed during the civil rights movement of the 60s. Galveston, Texas, is the birthplace of Juneteenth, where many exhibits will be open to the public. 
delivery workers in New York are getting a big pay bump. Starting next month, they'll be paid at least $17.96 an hour, not including tips. It's the first such minimum pay rate in the U.S. for an industry that exploded in popularity during the pandemic. The city's more than 60,000 delivery workers who courier takeout, groceries and other goods are paid an average of about 11 bucks an hour after tips and expenses, less than New York's $15 minimum wage. The average food delivery driver salary in Canada is around $33,000 a year or $17 an hour. I'm Christine Ross and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Canadian AI experts are sounding the alarm about the dangers of artificial intelligence by urging Ottawa to pass legislation quickly as the technology advances. The government is currently working on legislation that would eventually penalize companies and individuals who use the technology unethically, but experts fear it's too far off. To break this all down, we reached Luke Stark, assistant professor at Western University in the Faculty of Information and Media, who studies the ethical and cultural impacts of AI. I share a lot of concerns about the need to regulate AI. Um, I, I don't think I share their concerns that the current bill before Parliament um, is the right way to do it. Um, so I, I'd love to see some, some regulation, but I, I don't think this is the right vehicle. And why don't you want to see this legislation, which, which apparently is still a few years off because they want to do consultations and so forth? Well, this is part of the challenge. Um, the, the bill that was, um, got, that went through second reading, I think a couple of weeks ago, um, is a very, a very short and vague bill. And as you say, they, there haven't actually been public consultations on the bill yet, um, which is a little unusual for, you know, for legislation. And the, the claim by the government is that they will do public consultations after the bill is passed, which is sort of, sort of roundabout, right? You know, you usually want to talk to people about what you're passing before you pass it. So I'm, I and some other folks, Sort of who study these topics are a little concerned that this bill is is you know getting passed for the sake of passing something, mm-hmm. um, and getting passed to to kind of uh, cement the the you know the kind of influence of, of of some folks in the Canadian AI industry who um, you know who who want to say that they've passed a, a regulatory bill but but who don't particularly want a lot of deep detailed change. And so the point of this bill then is to um, penalize those individuals, I assume, and companies who are using it unethically. Do you think it will be overarching? Well, so so the point of this bill is to um, direct the government um, to to um, through the Office of um, Industry Science and Development Ministry to um, to develop regulations around around AI and also develop to develop um, a kind of a, a kind of data commissioner that will look into potential ethical breaches or legal breaches um, and that's all well and good right but I think one of the challenges with that model is that this data commissioner is going to be um, uh, you know a, a subsidiary to is going to report to whoever the minister of, of industry and scientific development is at the time. So that means that instead of it being an arm's length, um, you know, kind of watchdog, it's going to be a watchdog that's actually incorporated into the ministry of the government that is, uh, you know, basically encouraging AI as a, as a business. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it seems like actually this isn't going to have a lot of teeth. Is this kind of reminiscent of the advent of the Internet when nobody was really sure exactly what it was all about and has since transformed our lives? Are we kind of at that point again? You know, it's a little hard to say. Um the certainly we don't know exactly what forms that um, these AI technologies are going to take in the future. Um, but I think we know a little more now about the the ways that digital technologies, um, you know, impact the world and what we can do to regulate them than we did 
20 or 30 years ago. And I think we knew a little bit then, too. Um, one of the similarities, I think, is is often, um, often around, you know, proponents of these technologies, often with a business interest in them, um, really hyping them up and boosting them and making really, you know, exaggerated claims about how much money they're going to bring into the economy, how much they're going to improve people's lives. I've read that you said from your perspective, it's these real life cases of AI used to control different groups in society that are, that are not getting as much attention. What do you mean by that? We're not talking about killer robots just yet. Um, but what we are talking about is these systems being used by governments and by private companies to, you know, do all the kind of efficiency, efficiency creating um, and, uh, and, and kind of classification that they've been doing for many decades. Um, but, but without potentially having a human in the loop, right, overseeing those decisions and, and also potentially, you know, claiming that because the AI system has made the decision, it's somehow, um, more accurate or more truthful or more, uh, more objective than a human. I think that's incorrect, right? I think, I think that, um, uh, you know, humans make these systems, humans build and design them. And so, uh, the ways that humans, um, have uh, you know, blind spots and biases get built into these technologies. And so that, that, that's always going to be an issue with AI. There are fears about uh, misinformation campaigns. And just this week in Toronto, we saw AI impacting the local Toronto mayoral election with one candidate using it with, yeah. you know, de- deception, basically, with photos that uh, were done quick and easily by a staffer over a phone, no research, posted for all to see. And that, I mean, that that damages trust. Yeah, I think it does, and I, I think I think there's a big challenge, um, especially with these, these generative AI, right? These systems that can produce text and also can produce images um, that uh, that just make make the creation of images that might, at first glance, seem to be you know representative of the world outside your door, right? Um, but but actually are are completely computer generated. You could, of course, have, you know, you could generate those images before you know these generative AI systems were were created. The, the difference is access. The difference is ease of doing it. You know, not everyone believes it is a threat. I, I I read stories. It seems almost every week where there is a new application in terms of medicine that could revolutionize treatment of disease. So what I hear, what I think I hear you're saying is that we just have to wade into this and and regulate it properly. Yeah, I think I think what I have to say is that is that we have a lot of regulatory tools available to make sense of these systems. In terms of medicine, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, these systems um, because they're good at matching patterns, they can be helpful and valuable at doing things like reading, things like radiological images or, mm-hmm. or other similar ideas. Although, even there, even there, it's harder than you'd think to actually get reliability. Um, you know, we're still not at the point where these technologies are going to um, replace doctors, and I actually think they're never going to replace doctors. You know, they, they might they might be assistive of doctors um, and other other medical staff. So, yeah, I think I think I think one thing to say is that we we should be exploring the regulatory tools we have, including you know Canada's, Canada's privacy laws, to to make sure that um, that uh, you know these systems are being used for the, the, the widest possible good. That was Luke Stark, assistant professor at Western University. I'm Christine Ross, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, buzz off, mosquitoes. Why many are noticing a big jump in the number of the blood-sucking insects this year. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, where you can meet like-minded people fighting for a new vision of aging. Find out more at carp.ca.
Why are there so many pesky mosquitoes this year? The thirsty bloodsuckers appear to be increasing in numbers across Canada, and experts point to a number of reasons why and how you can best protect yourself, your family, and even your pets. We reached biologist, mosquito researcher, and assistant professor at Acadia University, Laura Ferguson, who's based in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. I'm hearing from so many this year, boy, the mosquitoes sure seem bad this year. So anecdotally, it would seem so, but you're the expert. How bad are they? (laughs) So it really depends on where you are right now, but you're absolutely right. We certainly hear it from certain areas that they are sick this year. And um, there's a few different things that sort of play into how many mosquitoes we get every year. And a lot of it has to do with how warm it is and how much water we have. And all of that also related to how warm the winter was and how warm it was last year as well, because it all sort of carries over through the seasons as well. Depends on how well they survive the winter. And then if they do really well, then we get these big bursts of them sometimes in the spring when everything starts to warm up. And then, of course, the water is important because that's where their babies live. And so if you've got a lot of standing water around, that can also contribute to having big booms in their populations from year to year. So this year, some of the reasons could be we did have a, a, a wetter spring than normal. Also, climate change, I would assume, is 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 partly to blame? It can be in some cases. And we're still sort of trying to, I guess, build our data to try and understand if climate change is going to increase mosquito abundance overall, at least in some areas. And it's going to vary a lot depending on where you are. Um, And again, sort of what happens year to year with some variation. But certainly with climate change, we can expect that overall kind of warmer temperatures and those milder winters that we're going to get in a lot of different areas in Canada, um, that that could certainly contribute to, uh, to seeing more mosquitoes when spring rolls around for sure. I'm also reading that there are more species of mosquitoes, so the population is kind of not exploding, but getting bigger. Yeah, we are seeing um, a few more species in Canada than we used to have. Um, And these aren't just sort of new species popping up. They're moving from different areas of the world. And so uh, certainly climate change is contributing to some of that because, you know, Historically in Canada, we've had pretty cold winters, and so that's kept some mosquitoes at bay. Some of them weren't able to live here before. And now that things are relaxing a little bit uh, in terms of our temperatures and harshness of our winters, some species are better able to survive here now. And so probably that's not why we're seeing big bursts sort of this time of year. But sure, yeah, absolutely, we're going to see more species of mosquitoes um, overall in Canada than we have in the past. And some of that's also linked to just people traveling around the world and goods being shipped around the world, that kind of thing. Um, Sometimes mosquitoes travel with, uh, you know, shipments of things like tires, for instance, and then end up somewhere else in the world where conditions are similar to where they came from and they do just fine. They may be tiny, but they are very deadly with a huge human death toll each year, either through uh, malaria or other disease. How worried should we be about West Nile virus, which is carried by the mosquito? Yeah, that's a good question. And so absolutely, mosquitoes are, are, you know, we call them one of the deadliest animals in the world, right? And, you know, in Canada, we're really lucky overall that for the most part, we're pretty protected against the more deadly kinds of pathogens that mosquitoes can carry. Um, Certainly, though, we do have things like West Nile virus and um, equine encephalitis virus, and and those can cause some pretty um, dramatic effects in humans. It's not 
common, but uh, certainly some provinces like Manitoba have higher rates than um, elsewhere in Canada. So it is something to be aware of and certainly protect yourself against mosquito bites. Um, but again, still go outside. <laughs> we're, we're not looking at a scenario in Canada where we have, um, you know, a high rate of these viruses that would prevent us from doing outdoor activities and that sort of thing for, for most people. So how do we protect ourselves, either through clothing or, or other ways? Yeah, great question. And so clothing is a big one. Any way you can put sort of a barrier between yourself and the mosquito is your best bet, right? So long sleeves, light colored clothing, um, bug nets, like those, you know, uh, netted hats and suits that you can buy, especially if you're someone who's doing a lot of, you know, camping or um, working in the woods, that kind of thing, that protection is going to be really helpful. Um, Certainly things like DEET are going to be effective at repelling mosquitoes. So again, particularly if you're somebody who spends a lot of time in really heavily wooded areas where there are going to be a lot of mosquitoes, it's probably going to be your friend. (laughs) Yeah, and and otherwise, you know, doing things like dumping out standing water around your home, that's going to be helpful because some mosquito species use that, you know, little buckets of rainwater and that kind of thing to lay their eggs and their babies grow up. And so if you're creating habitat for mosquitoes, then sometimes that can elevate their numbers sort of locally as well. So doing those kinds of things can help to protect yourself. Yeah. How effective is citronella? I, I can't stand the smell of it, but if it works, I'm going to use it this year. For the most part, the data that we have show that it's not very effective. Um, some people might swear by it. And so, you know, if you like it and you and you think it works, just go for it. It's, it's totally fine. Um, but uh, for the most part, it's not as effective as something like beet, for instance. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it might it might work. To a small degree, but it's not going to be super effective at keeping them keeping them at bay. Do we need to worry about our pets as well? There are some mosquitoes that can carry things that we worry about, like um, um, like a type of heartworm for dogs, for instance. And we don't have a lot of that, uh, at least in the Maritimes. Certainly more down um, towards the southern states, etc. Uh, but we're on the lookout for it as well. You study these tiny, pesky insects. Are there any redeeming qualities at all to them? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So, well, just, you know, to throw it out there, one of my favorite species is actually a species that feeds on frogs. It doesn't bother humans at all. (laughs) It doesn't care about us. Um, So you can have some, you know, some more charismatic species, if you will. And also, they're food for a lot of different animals, right? And so um, it's really important, you know, insects in general, our food for many, many other animals. And so if we're trying to preserve biodiversity right now, for instance, having a few mosquitoes around, although they're pesky to us, actually is serving as food, um, you know, for many other kinds of animals that we want to stick around as well. Laura Ferguson, thanks for this. My pleasure. Thank you very much. That was Acadia University Assistant Professor of Biology, Laura Ferguson. I'm Christine Ross, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Christine Ross for Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Zneimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, 
and The Garden Show.